When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 57, coming to you live tonight. As always, I am your co-host, Zach Follador, steering this ship along with Steve Helwick, the only man who can write 3,500 words on the American Athletic Conference one day and turn around and talk about the Mac 24 hours later, oh, less than that, 12 hours later. Steve, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great. I'm not not on too much sleep right now, but we sleep in oh, when's college football season in January. We yeah. sleep in January, January 10th or whatever, the day after the national championship game. That's yep. that's that's when we can rest. That's exactly right. Um, so yeah, you were you were uh, covering the American uh, the media days yesterday. A lot of interesting teams in the American this year. I'm I'm really curious to see how how that plays out. And uh, I love reading your piece about that. I think there's a lot of interesting teams there this year. How, how was the media day? It was good. They held it virtually again this year. Uh, well, I think one of the funniest thing that happened in media day was former NIU head coach Rod Carey for Temple. He decided to take his media day on a bus trip. The team was going up to New York and they were in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. And it was just a walking technical difficulty and the signal went out and we never really got to have a coherent media day from Temple. So that, that was what we got from the former NIU Mac champion head coach yesterday. But it was interesting overall. Cincinnati's a great team, um, a quarter away from undefeated last year. Then you have UCF with Gus Malzahn coming in and a great yeah. offense, Dylan Gabriel. So there's some great teams at the top of the conference. And then when the realignment landscape's coming in, it kind of feels like these teams are auditioning maybe to keep their conference and entice Big 12 teams, or maybe they're auditioning for other conferences. So the AAC is kind of in an interesting state right now. And I think it's uh, an interesting conference to follow, especially in this 2021 season. Yeah, it really is. Interesting year for, for the American Athletic Conference this year. That, uh, that Rod Carey story is, is hilarious. Perhaps a little bit of uh, symbolic of, of the state of the, the Owls program right now in entering his, uh, his third year. But anyway, uh, we got a lot of Mac stuff to get to here tonight. Uh, one quick news story I wanted to touch on here, Steve, before we jump into our Central Michigan and Ohio preview. Obviously, last week was the, the NBA draft. The Mac had not had a player drafted since 2003, and that changed last week with Ohio card uh, Jason Preston getting drafted. Well, originally drafted by his hometown team, the Magic, was then traded to the L.A. Clippers. Uh, Steve, I know you're a big NBA guy, as am I. Curious to hear your thoughts on, on Preston getting selected there and kind of where he might fit in, where, where you see him going uh, with the Clippers this year, maybe a two-way contract, something like that. Curious to get your thoughts there. Yeah, I think he could be a two-way contract and just having a lot of experience out of college alone. Sometimes you see some of those veteran guys make a presence on a team, second round picks undrafted. Like I know you're a Penn State alum and Lamar Stevens last year for yeah. the Cavaliers, he was undrafted and he came and made a presence off the bench and he was playing a lot of minutes in some of those late season games before an injury. So who knows what role Jason Preston can bring. But for the LA Clippers, they have a lot of age at point guard. Reggie Jackson's currently 31. He's a free agent and expected to probably re-sign with the Clippers as they probably have one of the biggest needs for a point guard right now. And then their other point guards, Patrick Beverly and Rajon Rondo are 33 and 35. And they're off the books one season from now. So adding a young guy like Preston, who's only 21, to that point guard room is going to work wonders for the team. And Preston's kind of a different point guard. He kind of reminds me a bit of Michael Carter Williams when he was coming out of college with just mm. the versatility he does with how Preston's able to crash the glass and make plays. And he's, he's more of a playmaker. While he can score, he doesn't really need the ball in his hands to be an effective player. So I think that that's an interesting part of his game. And 
the story that's been reiterated many times of just him averaging two points a game in high school, going to UCF as a journalism student, blogging about the Pistons, and somehow leading Ohio to a tournament win and getting drafted. It just keeps getting better and better for Jason Preston. And who knows what's next? He could play his way into a solid rotation player. There's not too many NBA players in the MAC. It's just Rashawn Holmes uh, from Bowling Green, Abdul Nader, who spent the first half of his college career at NIU. And now you have Jason Preston. So really only three full-time active NBA players at the moment. So I think that's really exciting for the conference to see. And it's really exciting for Ohio Bobcats, who you mentioned earlier, the Bobcats haven't had a player drafted in 18 years. Yeah, it is. It is a great story. I also got to say, first of all, I love you for the Lamar Stevens reference there. I got his Jersey hanging in my closet behind me, but that's neither, that's neither here nor there. I, I agree. I think Michael Carter Williams is a great comparison for Jason Preston, you think about the, the the bigger, the rangy, the lanky point guard, and and I, like you said, not not you know, not the ultimate scorer, but is able to really get his his teammates involved. Seven point three assists per game last year, fifth in the country, and then uh, you know had that great run through the MAC tournament and into the NCAA tournament where Ohio knocked off Virginia. So we're really uh, really excited to see that. Really excited to see what Preston's able to do here this year. He was the, the Clippers actually just earlier this afternoon announced their uh, their summer league roster, which obviously he is a part of. They uh, they tip off their the, the Vegas summer league uh, this coming Sunday, August eighth. So um, you can find those games. I know a lot of them are televised on either NBA TV or ESPN. So any Bobcat fans or Mac fans that are interested in uh, watching Preston play a little bit this summer with the Clippers summer league team, uh, check out their schedule and and you can catch them uh, here coming up over the next couple of weeks. So. Uh, Got that out of the way, Steve. Let's move right into our, our season previews here. Continuing this week with Central Michigan and Ohio, uh, the Chippewas. We'll start with uh, we'll start up in Mount Pleasant with uh, with with the Chippewas. Three and three last year. They started three and one before uh, getting blown out by Ball State and then losing that heartbreaker to Toledo at the end of the year. Three and three uh, to finish the season. Jim McElwain enters his third year. Uh, obviously, a dramatic turnaround for them back in 2019. They went from one and 11 to a MAC championship game appearance. Um, this is a very experienced team here this year, Steve. 11 starters back on offense, nine on defense. I think there might be some questions around the, who's going to be the starting quarterback, but this is a team uh, in this loaded West division. They might have as much talent as anybody. Yes, I'm thinking uh, that Daniel Richardson probably has that quarterback job on lock. And they'll, they'll hope to see some improvement about Richardson last year. He was kind of thrown into the fire after the pandemic season with not having spring ball. I think his first ever passing reps was when I was at the New Mexico Bowl in the final minutes of that 48 to 11 blowout. So last year was really he just had to come on campus and learn how to be the starter in those games and kind of get a feel for the speed of the game at the FBS level. So Richardson will have to have some improvement this year. Central Michigan wants to get back to Detroit like they were two years ago. But what I am high on about the Central Michigan team is their linebacking core. Central mm -hmm. Michigan's had a lot of backers recently. And George Douglas, who led the team in tackles last year, and Troy Brown Jr., who has done really well over the past couple of years, are two linebackers that I look at and say, this is one of the premier groups in the conference at that position. And they always have been. Uh, last year, they had Michael Oliver, who was also just a dominant force in the run-stopping game. So I really like the potential of their defense this year offensively I think they're going to be carried more so by their running game because Kobe Lewis and Lou Nichols make a good duo it was just like two years ago when they had two 1,000 yard rushers and Jonathan Ward and Kobe Lewis now Lewis is more of that the 1a of that group and Lou Nichols who actually led the team in rushing last year and was a nice surprise averaging over six yards a carry Lou Nichols is at 1B of the backfield. So when anytime you have a good dynamic duo with that, it keeps the defenses honest. It makes them have to prepare for more running backs, more tendencies in the film room. So, and the fact that they get factored into the receiving game too, and that they can serve as good third down backs is something I really like about Jim McElwain's offense and what he's brought to Central Michigan. So I think that those running backs are going to be the key to Central Michigan uh, sustaining this run under Jim McElwain in the last two seasons. Couldn't agree with you more there, Steve. I think when I look at this team, 
The, the, all of the skill positions on offense, you look at the running back room and the, and the wide receiver room, there's so much talent there. But when you look at this veteran offensive line, and as you mentioned, two really good running backs, Lou Nichols and Kobe Lewis, um, you know, both of those guys, you know, they ranked sixth and seventh in the Mac last year in terms of uh, total, you know, rushing yards. And, um, you know, Kobe Lewis with, you know, six touchdowns on the year. I, I think, like, as you said, I think you could, you could be looking at two 1,000-yard rushers here, probably the best running back room in the MAC, at least one of the top two or three. I think, again, though, my, my big um, – the reason why I'm very high on the Chippewas this year is, is really that veteran offensive line. They return all seven guys who earned starts last year. They also get back – uh, right tackle Luke Gedeke, who who missed last year with an injury, 82 career starts returning for them on the offensive line. And uh, they were third in the MAC in yards per game last year in terms of rushing, uh, 218 rushing yards per game, second in the tied for second in the conference with five yards per carry. So I really, really like what I see uh, from the offensive line and in the backfield there. As you mentioned, Daniel Richardson, the quarterback, I do agree with you. I think all things considered last year performed really well as a, as a true freshman kind of being rushed into the, in, into starting action, 714 uh, yards, uh, 63.5% completion percentage in, in four starts uh, before he missed the last two games. I, I hear what you're saying. I, I would think because of that body of work, he would have the inside track. You see some Central Michigan fans on Twitter it does seem like some of them do feel like Jacob Sermon's going to transfer in and take that starting job from him. A former four-star recruit transferred in from Washington. I'm not sure that I, I, I buy that. I think if I'm a Chippewas fan, I like what I saw from Daniel Richardson last year in limited time, especially given the circumstances. And he's going to have, they're going to have so many, whoever the quarterback is, you're going to have so many weapons around you. We haven't even mentioned Khalil Pimpleton, one of the best wide receivers in the conference. He was their leading uh, receiver last year. And, uh, you know, two, two years ago, really kind of exploded onto the scene. I also like Dallas Dixon and Ja'Cory Sullivan uh, at, the, at the wide receiver uh, position. I do think, you know, this was a balanced offense last year. You know, a little about 220 rush yards a game, 202 pass yards per game. Um, I think I want to see some development in the passing game this year. But I think this has a potential to be a very high-powered offense, and then you combine that with the experienced defense they have on the other side. I'm with you. I love the linebacking core. Troy Brown was first-team All-Mac last year, and uh, you mentioned George Douglas. They also got a transfer from Michigan State and Marcel Lewis there. There's a lot to like about this team. Do you, are there, is there any holes you see here, anything that kind of you look at when you see – thinking about a weakness, um, you know, there's, there's been some issues. I mean, last year the pass defense was not great – defensive backs um you know they, they lost a couple of um they, they lost a couple of, of veteran guys back there gave up almost 300 passing yards a game last year I kind of look at the defensive backs as a, a potential weakness I need to see some improvement in the pass defense um anything along that, those lines that that strikes you yes I would say that the pass defense is the main thing that's hampering central Michigan from being one of the teams that I would consider winning the Mac West this season, just because last year they finished with the ninth worst pass defense of the FBS, almost allowing 300 yards per game and allowing several touchdowns in that area. I think that the area they really need to shore up is the cornerbacks. The safeties are pretty good run stoppers, I thought, and they had two all Mac safeties last year in the reads, Willie Reed and Devonnie Reed, who are both pretty good tacklers. Willie Reed did have three interceptions and was pretty good at, bolstering the turnover game and I really like what I've seen from him in zone coverage but I think Central Michigan has to improve their man coverage a lot and that was evident last year when they went up against Western Michigan in the battle for the camp cannon and it was just the Dwayne Eskridge show against the cornerbacks yeah. anytime Dwayne Eskridge on an island he was bound for a 70 yard touchdown on just a quick slant just simple routes that he was picking them apart with so I think that Central Michigan really needs to fix that pass defense because there's a lot of good quarterbacks I think in the MAC this year when you have this much experience returning because of these extra years of eligibility you get a conference that has Dustin Crum, Caleb Ellaby, I like Drew Blitt too and then you have the other tier of quarterbacks that could be developing guys like Daniel Richardson, Curtis Rourke that were kind of thrown into the fire last year and we need to see more out of them. So the defensive backs in this conference really need to be on their heels. And that's my biggest concern about Central Michigan. But as always, their front seven is pretty good. I really like their linebacking core, as I mentioned earlier, and adding that transfer from Michigan State should 
help even add more depth to that unit. And then you have Troy Harrison, who I believe was a first team all Mac selection yeah. last year, 12 and a half tackles for a loss and 5.5 sacks. And there's, there's a lot of good names on this team. I mean, Central Michigan actually led the Mac last year in first team all Mac selections with six. Mm-hmm. Although two of them involved their kicker and punter, which shows that they have good special teams. So yeah. you can win like Kansas State and Iowa wins games sometimes just <laughs> yeah. in those areas. But I, I do think that that front seven's good. And I just need to see more out of the passing defense. And I need to see more out of the quarterback play. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a a valid assessment there. And and one other thing I would want to point out here, the, the right, rushing defense, the rush defense was good last year. They do lose a couple of key contributors on the D-line, though. Muhammad Diallo, first team all-Mac last year, defensive tackle. He's gone. Uh, defensive end Roby Stort was hurt in the uh, in the spring and is going to be out for the year. So a couple of you know big losses there on the defensive line that they're going to have to address. But they still have Troy Hairston there. 41 tackles, five and a half sacks last year. Obviously, he was with the Comac Defensive Player of the Year. Maybe this group, the group on the defensive line, not quite as deep as last year, but still very talented. What's that? They just added a a familiar face in the MAC. I think it was today. Tyrese Woods Jr. from Buffalo. Yes. Defensive tackle. They added him to replace Roby. A very late, a late transfer that, that, as you mentioned, just broke today here on Thursday as, uh, as uh, they had their, you know, their media availability. So you're right that that potentially can help them uh, at least, you know, with the depth. I think the other thing that's interesting about central Michigan, something that uh, Greg McElwain's talked about is that, you know, last year, whenever the Mac initially chose to, um, to cancel their season before they, they opted for the November start central Michigan, gray shirted their entire freshman class so that led to some some uh some depth issues last year i mean there were a couple games i was reading articles about them earlier doing some research there was a couple games last year where they only had like 50 players dressed because their their entire freshman class was gray shirted so we'll see how some of those young guys are able to uh to develop here this year and and see if you know any guys there are able to come in and, and and solidify that depth in these positions that we're talking about you know in the defensive backfield on the defensive line and, uh, and, and stuff of that nature. Let's look at the, the, the schedule here for the Chippewas here, Steve. You got a couple of marquee non-conference games. You open up September 4th at Missouri. Uh, two weeks later, you go to LSU. Those are going to be two tough games there. You got a, a I, I don't know if you'd call it a coin flip game, but a, a good game, a good, you know, G5 game against a Conference USA member Florida International in week four. And then you got the FCS uh, Robert Morris there in, in week two. I don't see Missouri or LSU as, as wins for the Chippewas this year. Maybe Missouri. I, I think that even still would be an outside shot. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that Florida international game. What you think about uh, the, the Golden Panthers going up to Mount Pleasant? FIU's program was in complete turmoil last season. I, I'm not sure about this. I'm thinking did any other FBS program lose to an FCS team or was it just FIU? I think it might've just been FIU. There weren't too many of those interdivision games last year. And I know they lost to Jacksonville state on a Friday night. So FIU didn't win a single game last year and they got worse and worse as the season prolonged and their rushing defense just looks completely terrible in the Shula bowl against their rival Florida Atlantic. So I think when you have a rushing attack of Central Michigan's caliber, I think that FIU does not match up well against this team. And FIU really hangs its hat offensively on their run game, where they have Devontae Price, a really good running back. And Central Michigan, I think, can provide a counter to that with their linebacking and front seven. So I think this matchup just favors in Central Michigan's direction. I think Butch Davis is a good coach. He had FIU in good places in the prior years. Uh, in 2018, going nine and four and winning a bowl game uh, over Toledo. And in 2017, going eight and five in this first year with the program. The last two years haven't been as kind to the Panthers. And I'm not really sure that they can be one of the better CUSA teams this year. So I think that almost any MAC team would be able to handle FIU. And I don't really have many doubts about Central Michigan taking that game in Mount Pleasant. You mentioned Missouri as a possibility earlier. I don't really see the Missouri one because I'm pretty high on the Tigers this year. That's my SEC dark horse team with Connor Bazelak returning at quarterback. I remember last year when he started that LSU game, I think it was his first career start. 
and he led the Tigers in that high-scoring showdown against uh, LSU. And then defensively, Missouri's looking really good, and they really bolstered themselves through the transfer portal this offseason, getting a first-team All-CUSA linebacker, Blaze Aldridge from Rice, and getting both of Tulsa's cornerbacks from that Tulsa Golden Hurricane defense. Mm-hmm. That was an absolute force in 2020. So I really like what I've seen from the Tigers this offseason. And I don't think that Central Michigan would win the opener. But two and two seems like the most feasible result in non-conference play with two SEC losses and their two non-SEC games being wins. Yeah, no, uh, I don't think there's any shame in going 0-2 against the SEC here uh, in this scenario. So, yeah, I I think we're on the same page there. Two and two feels right for the non-conference schedule. You take a look at their first four conference games uh you open up with a two two tough games in conference you start at miami and then at ohio in those first two weeks and even that next week after that you have toledo at home i when i think about this team given all of the talent that they have on offense and with the offensive line my the miami and ohio games on the road to me those feel like games that the chippewas should expect to win. I'm not saying I would pick them in both of those games. I, I do think that one and one is pretty likely there, but I could see them going two and zero in those two games. I think obviously that Ohio game is going to be a lot of rushing yards in that game. But you go Miami, Ohio, Toledo, and Northern Illinois in your first four MAC games. I think those first two road games, though, uh, in in week five and six, will kind of set the tone for the rest of the season for the Chippewas. Yes, I would expect the one and one in that Miami, Ohio road game trip, but those games are going to be a lot easier to predict when we get through four games with each MAC team and see what, where they're at at that point. Because Central Michigan, we talked about this with Eastern Michigan last week on the podcast. Central Michigan's that other team along with Eastern Michigan that just seems like the average team in the MAC that can compete with anybody and also lose lose to anybody and that's what I the vibes I'm getting out of the Chippewas they were three and three last year and they had some wins that I thought were impressive that early season one over Ohio and they had some losses that I thought were questionable for the team so I think that Central Michigan's going to be hovering around that 500 mark this year and that's not the easiest schedule to start out with with road trips to Miami and then a road trip to Athens for Ohio and then coming back to host Toledo but the actually th- this schedule was not really easy at all. Yeah. Uh, NIU's really the only team that seems like an easy out in the Mac West. Apologies to NIU fans. Uh, but the Huskies, I need more out of them after that 0-6 season last year in order to have any faith in the direction of the program. Other than that, I think that you have kind of Ball State and Western Michigan up at the top and then the rest of the Mac West. Uh, the Toledo, the Central Michigan, Eastern Michigan combination yeah. is pretty matched, and it it seems like anybody could win in those games. So I'm not really sure what to expect out of Central Michigan and conference play yet. But that that's really not a cakewalk schedule. I think you don't have Akron, you don't have Bowling Green, and I use really the only win that I can sit down and guarantee with at least seventy percent confidence. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I think you, you think about the the crossover games that they get from the Eastern Division. I mean, you get Kent State, you get Ohio, two teams that are going to be right there in the mix for, for, you know, competing for that division championship. And then obviously also Miami. I mean, you get three tough crossover games there. These last four games of the season for the Chippewas, pretty brutal. You go to Western Michigan, Uh, in Kalamazoo, then you get Kent State at home, then you go to Muncie to take on Ball State, and then Eastern Michigan on Black Friday, as is tradition to to close out the season there. Yeah, I I, I agree with you, Steve. I mean, you look at the the Vegas numbers, uh, they have the the win total at at six and a half for the uh, the Chippewas. I, 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 six and six kind of feels right to me. Uh, I think maybe they get to seven and five if they steal one, but yeah, you know, it, it feels like their their momentum that they had from two years ago when they got to the MAC championship game and nobody expected it. It feels like the pandemic kind of slowed them down a little bit here, and now they're kind of having to to build back up to that point. They're this, as you said, the schedule doesn't do them any favors. 
but I, 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 you know, those last three games there, man, I could easily see them going one and three or, you know, even zero and four if, if they don't catch any breaks in that last third of the season there. You go to Ball State, to Western Michigan. That, that's a tough way to end the year. Yes, although that momentum from 2019 never really felt like it was even there. I'm not calling any fluke, but there's so much parity in the MAC that season. I wrote an article with, I think, two games left in the season of a scenario where I think five out of six teams could win it. The MAC. Oh, wow. They finished with a six and two record in conference that year, but they got blown out by Western Michigan, that Western Michigan team with Levante Bellamy, John Wasink. And I thought that was the best team in the Mac West that season. So I was kind of surprised that because Western Michigan had a surprising late season loss to NIU. That's what propelled central Michigan into that Mac championship game. So I never really felt like there was momentum there as the premier team in the Mac West. And they, they finished eight and six in that conference champion season and three and three last year. So they've been hovering around that 500 mark through two years of Jim McElwain. And I'd expect something similar to continue this year, but I do like a lot of their talent across the board, as mentioned earlier on defense and at the wide receiver and running back positions where I think that they, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they represented the Mac West in the championship. That just shows how deep the conference is at the moment with all this returning experience. Yeah, you're definitely right. And the, the, the parity definitely plays a big part in it. That Western division this, this year is, is really going to be tough. A lot of really good teams over there that are loaded with talent. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, let's flip over to the Eastern Division here, Steve. I think really, really interesting team for me this year that I'm really uh, excited to, to see what happens with them is the Ohio Bobcats. Obviously, the main storyline here this year is replacing a legend. Frank Solich retired. Uh, earlier this offseason after after uh, 16 years as the Bobcats head coach, longtime offensive coordinator Tim Albin gets promoted to take his place. He gets a four-year contract. There's no interim tag there or anything like that. I think they probably realized that they had their coach in waiting there, which is why it was announced so late in the offseason, where I'm sure that at least had a, a part to play in it. But, uh, I mean, Steve, this is a, a team you think, you know, Tim Albin uh, has been running this offense for the last, you know, 15 years. They've had some great rushing attacks in that time, some great high-powered offenses in that time. And this is a team that still has a lot of talent on it. And I think sometimes when you think about teams that are going through a coaching change, you think about them taking a, you know, a step back that year. I'm not sure I feel that way about Ohio. I mean, they still have their entire coaching staff in place and so much returning talent here. Nine starters back on offense. I've got a lot of young talent. you got Curtis Rourke, Demontre Tuggle back at running back. This doesn't feel like a, a rebuild to me or anything like that. I mean, I think this is a team that still has expectations of competing for the conference championship. I would agree with that. And unfortunately, we never really got to learn too much about the Ohio Bobcats in the 2020 season. The opener of a pandemic season that suddenly restarted is never the easiest game to draw conclusions from. And that was really the only time that Ohio faced an opponent of their caliber that I wanted to see how they test their medal against. And they played Central Michigan in a close game, briefly led in the second half, thanks to a Demontre Tuggle kick return touchdown, who we'll get into shortly. But Ohio's other two games were against Bowling Green and Akron, and I'd expect any team in the MAC to handle business against them. Now, oh, Akron, they only beat 24 to 10, but Ohio really showed that they did have a pretty good defense last year. I know they finished seventh in points allowed per game, which is kind of deceiving given the sample size and the schedule that they faced. But I think that Ohio has the pieces in place for that because the Bobcats have had a good defense for quite a while. I know Jimmy Burrow, their longtime defensive coordinator, isn't there on campus anymore. But this was a team that beat UAB, what, 41-6 to six in the 2017 Bahamas Bowl, and then 
they followed it up with a second straight bowl win of not allowing a touchdown, 27-0 against San Diego State. And then they really dominated Nevada for three quarters uh, without allowing a touchdown in that famous Idaho Potato Bowl. So this is a team that's really prides itself on a good defensive foundation. The problem is that we haven't seen what, so we had a limited sample size and we haven't seen enough of what the offense looks like in life without Nathan Rourke. I understand Nathan Rourke left two seasons ago, but we still need to see what Curtis's full potential is. I, I spoke to Nathan for a feature uh, before he got drafted and he was saying that Curtis has, Curtis doesn't have the mobility exactly that Nathan has, but Curtis has some more pop to his arm and has can really get that ball downfield. So I think we'll see more of a passing quarterback from him. And that's good considering that they have a veteran crew of wide receivers returning. Isaiah Cox, Cameron Odom, Jerome Buckner are some names that have been floating around the offense for the past couple of years. So having that group back with another year under Curtis Rourke, I think should help the passing offense get to a better level than it was last year. And I'll have to say in the limited time Rourke played, I thought he was good. I mean, 68% completion percentage, didn't throw an interception, averaged nine yards per attempt. He's, he's on track to possibly be a great quarterback. I think maybe in two years, we'd be discussing him as maybe the premier quarterback of this conference. Yeah, I, I hear you. And, and the, as you say, the, the sample size, very limited. I mean, in three games last year, this team only, they only attempted 54 passes, 36 for 54 on the year. That's Curtis Rourke and Armani Rogers combined together. That's another interesting thing that you just mentioned when speaking to, to Nathan, uh, Curtis's brother, uh, mentioning how, how Curtis doesn't have quite the mobility it was an interesting kind of two quarterback system they had last year where Curtis Rourke got the majority of the snaps, but Armani Rogers, the UNLV transfer did provide some, uh, a little bit of that run threat at quarterback. He was actually their second leading rusher last year uh, was, uh, was Armani Rogers. So I, I, I think in, in lieu of being able to have Nathan Rourke do all of that himself, they kind of deploy that two quarterback system. I'll be curious to see how they do that this year, or if they do that this year, I think the, the, the highlight of this offense here for me, though, similar to what we were just talking about with Central Michigan, is the running backs in the offensive line. Demontre Tuggle, 7.6 yards per carry last year, 53 carries for over 400 yards and six touchdowns. You also have Ocean Allison back there as well, who uh, is also nobody to sleep on. Um, I think these two teams are, are, are built somewhat similarly in that regard. This is another veteran offensive line four starters back. They also add a, a transfer from Virginia Tech, uh, TJ Jackson, who, who's presumably going to start at left tackle. The only question, the only kind of concern I have about uh, the offensive line is that they are great in the run game. Uh, you know, they averaged five yards per carry last year, but they also allowed 10 sacks last year in only three games. So I, I do think they're going to need to get a little bit better in pass protection, keeping Curtis Rourke and Armani Rogers upright. The good news here on the flip side is that this feels like a defense that um, this feels like a defense that, that is going to be able to, to get some stops. And, you know, even if, if there's games where the offense isn't quite clicking, the defense has a lot of talent there. I, I really like the linebacking core. I really like the, uh, the, the defensive line. There's a lot to like on this defense, but as you said last year, you know, you get two games against Akron and Bowling Green, the, the stats might be a little bit misleading. You only give up two, 10 points in each of those games, but again, you're not, you're not dealing with the most high-powered offenses on the opposition there. Yes, I, I agree with what you said about the running backs and offensive line. And Julian Ross, you didn't even mention, is still on campus. He's been Ohio – he was Ohio secondary back to A.J. Olette as far ago as 2017. So you have wow. DeMontre, who I think should be a lock for All-Mac this year after having an incredible season, not only as a running back, but as an All-Mac return specialist too. I mentioned earlier in the pod that his kick return against Central Michigan, he only had four kick returns last year. He had 180 yards and averaged 45 yards per kick return. The touchdown will inflate that, but he, he's just dangerous when he has the ball in his hands in an open field. So I really like Tuggle in that regard. I think O'Shawn Allison and Julian Ross can serve as good secondary and tertiary backs. And just one other name I wanted to mention. You said TJ Jackson is going to be a big transfer in the offensive line. He started a couple games at guard for Virginia Tech last year, and he's a big body. He's 6'6", 377 pounds, 
I think they might move him to tackle, possibly left tackle this year. And Ohio has so much size on their offensive line. Here's yeah. a name you might remember. He, he used to be somewhat of a meme, but now he's actually one of the best players on the team. Offensive guard Hagen Maservi is most famous for doing a cartwheel in the middle of a play uh, against yes. Western a few years ago. Went viral on ESPN Sports Center, all that. He's an athletic guy, as you can see from his cartwheel. He's 6'3", 300 pounds, and I think that having him on that offensive line also provides some good run-blocking protection. So I think this is one of the better lines in the conference. I know Buffalo's had that title the last few years, and they're going to have a period of transition this offseason. I like Kent State's offensive line, though, with just all the continuity and returning uh, there. And I really like what I offer from Ball State. But I might slide Ohio into the top three lines in the conference with Kent State and Ball State just because I like the potential of their line. I think they do need to fix their pass protection. But with a lot of size, a lot of 300-pounders, guys that are 6'3 or above, uh, we, as far reaching as 6'7 on this line, I, I really like what they brought into Athens, and I think that can really help boost the offense this season. Yeah, I, you get no argument from me there. I mean, you look at this offensive line, the projected starters, the, the, the smallest guy on this line is 6'3", 295. I mean, I'm looking at this. You got 6'3", 318, 6'6", 377, 6'4", Those are some big bodies up front that are going to be able to move some people around. Um, I also have to acknowledge a great call out with Julian Ross. My, my apologies to Julian. I, I didn't forget you. He's one of those guys that feels like he's been around forever now. He's like the, the Aaron craft of, of the Ohio Bobcats. Uh, you know, I look, <laughs> I look at this defense though. Um, uh, there's a lot to like on this defense. The, the secondary was very good, you know, stats wise, very good last year. Again, limited sample size, not the best competition, they do lose the, the Motley twins, Elias and Xavier Motley, who both seemed like they were there forever as well. Um, they had five interceptions in only three games last year. One thing to note, as I was doing research, um, one of their, 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 their highest recruit this year, the, the best highest rated recruit in their uh, recruiting class, is actually the highest rated recruit ever in Ohio program history, cornerback Shikari Denson. He was a four-star recruit on ESPN.com and 80 overall. Be curious to see how they're able to incorporate him. But when you look at this defense, Steve, um, as we've talked about, the, 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 you know, the numbers might be a little bit misleading from last year. Um, any, any kind of concerns on your, on your end from uh, what you see from this defense? I think that losing Jared Dorsell from the middle linebacker position might pamper the run defense a little bit because he has been a key cog for that unit the past couple of years. So I think that this defense doesn't have too many names that are familiar of just some of the playmaking units of the past. So I think Ohio might have some issues defensively when not playing teams that are Akron and Bowling Green. I said earlier that that's kind of what they've hung their hat on in the past years, but I don't know if that's present as much this year. It seems like a younger, more inexperienced group, but there's one name that I really liked watching last year. And that's uh, safety jet Elad. He led the team in interceptions last year and finished fifth in tackles. And I think that Elad's just one of those young guys. He has some Javon Hagen vibes too. Mm. Hagen was an excellent safety. He started three or four years at Ohio a couple of years ago and just always played aggressive. And I see similar qualities when Elad's on the field. So I think that's going to be the one name that I really want to watch this year for the defense. And then another thing is losing Austin Conrad and how yeah. that's going to the pass rush because Austin Conrad's been their star defensive end for the past two seasons. And they're really going to need to have guys step up in that area of the game. So I'm not really high so far on the defense for Ohio this year. I won't be shocked if their streak of non-losing seasons, which has existed since 2009, would come to a close, which that's just a testament mm -hmm. to how great and consistent this program has been under Frank Solich. But the, the Bobcats have some pieces. They're a young group, and I think that they're going to be a team that is far better in December or November than they are when they kick off next month.
I certainly agree with that. This feels to me like the team with the most, this is the team that feels like we know the least about right now. There's so many factors, external factors with the coaching change and with only playing three games last year. There's, there's a lot of questions that we need to get answered from this team um, before we're able to confidently, you know, predict anything. With that said, when it comes to predictions, let's take a look at their schedule. Their, their week one matchup really intrigues me with Syracuse. Yes, with Syracuse coming in to Athens. Not, not very often that a power five team visits a MAC team. I know it happens once every couple of years. Steve, I got to be honest, even with all the questions that we have about Ohio right now, Syracuse, looking at them from afar and former Bowling Green coach Dino Babers, that program is a mess right now. And I know when the early season lines came out, the look ahead lines came out, this game was a pick 'em with Ohio at home. I think the Bobcats have a legitimate chance to, to win that game and pick up a, a power five victory, which would be big for Coach Albin in his first game. Yes, Syracuse had one of the worst offenses in college football last year, averaging under 20 points per game. And they get uh, Garrett Schrader, who is a former Mississippi State quarterback, coming in and challenging Tommy DeVito for the quarterback job this year. I know DeVito was injured and missed most of last year, which was part of the reason that the offense struggled. But the Syracuse, they're not in the best shape right now. Uh, after maxing out in that 2018 season where they went 10 and three, a season where you might remember when they visited Kalamazoo on week one and played yeah. an absolute shootout with Western Michigan. Fun game to watch. It was a 70 yard touchdown almost every play. It was yes. Dwayne Bridges' breakout game. Levante Bellamy was doing great. And Syracuse had a wide receiver named Jamal Custis, who was just dominant on Western Michigan secondary that day. And the receiver that I would be concerned about if you're Ohio having a dominant field day in Athens would be Taj Harris, who did play pretty well in Syracuse's schedule last year with 733 yards and five touchdowns. So he's going to be the main focus, I think, for Ohio secondary in this game. But defensively, Syracuse wasn't anything too special last year either, averaging 33 points a game. They finished 1-10 in 10 with their only win against the Georgia Tech team that's still recovering from uh, triple option and transitioning to a normal pro style spread offense uh, under Jeff Collins. So yeah. I think that this game's fair to be a pick em. We don't really know too much about Ohio and I don't know what to expect out of Dino Babers after a non-pandemic season when Syracuse never really got off on the right footing last year. So I think having this game is a pick em's fair and the yeah, this is that's a 50-50 win. Ohio can easily start one to know if they start that they're going to beat Duquesne on September 11th to start 2-0. and So that would be a good way for the Bobcats to start. I know they've been a victim of slow starts in the past couple of years and finished strong. So if they can manage to get Syracuse on week one, I think that's going to say a lot about how their season's going to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, Steven. I think if they can win that first game, I mean, a 2-0 start is pretty likely to me. Those The second, uh, the third and fourth game of the season there to close out the non-conference schedule, you go down to uh, Lafayette, Louisiana to take on the Ragin' Cajuns, and then the next week you go to Evanston to take on Northwestern. You know, Louisiana coming off a couple of really good years with, uh, with Billy Napier down there, and then Northwestern also coming off a great year last year. I don't see either of those games being wins for the Bobcats. I think probably two and two or, or one and three is what we're looking at for, for the, the non-conference. I don't know. Would you disagree on that? I, I, I would yeah. admit you probably know more about Louisiana than I do. Louisiana is a heck of a program. And I'm not saying that they're going to beat Texas on week one, but I think Texas fans shouldn't be shocked if they do just because of the continuity that Louisiana's had under Napier. They still have Levi Lewis returning to campus and just a great running game back there. Uh, I know Chris Smith's going to be one of the feature returning running backs this season. Also defensively, I thought they were spectacular last season and Louisiana really hammered down Iowa state in that opener, yeah. the a game that the committee apparently didn't watch when they were ranking Iowa state, like number <laughs> eight and 17 spots ahead of them every week but I digress uh Louisiana is not going to be a win I know Ohio faced the uh, Raging Cajuns two years ago when they were first uh first like blossoming under Billy Napier and Ohio's defense got punched in the gut that 
that day. So I'd expect something similar to happen in that game. Then Northwestern. Northwestern is very underrated every season. They never get the love that they deserve in the AP Top 25 poll, preseason poll. They've been to the Big Ten title game in two of the last three seasons. And they really had Ohio State on the ropes through three quarters of that last year. And they always have a great defense under Pat Fitzgerald. Northwestern's not going to – I know they did it to Maryland in the opener last year, but Northwestern's not the type of team that wins these games 56-10. to 10. They'll yeah. win it in the ugly, disgusting fashion. <laughs> That's just the brand of Northwestern football, and the fact that Fitzgerald's been able to consistently do that year after year is really impressive. So I don't think that Northwestern's going to come out and just derail Ohio – with their offense but i think that defensively they could give them a lot of troubles and give them a game but then the other factor you have to do with northwestern is they lost to akron a couple years ago they're always a random number generator of a program yeah every while they just generate the wrong random number and just have a bad day they lost to michigan state last season yeah yeah iowa that that's (laughs) they've been unable to escape that identity of just being a random number generator so yeah um, I think it's going to be an intriguing game and Ohio is going to really have to bulk up offensively to get past the defense that I would just assume that Pat Fitzgerald has ready for that matchup. Yeah. That, that Ohio Northwestern game, that, that feels like one of those classic, like 14 to six Northwestern victories. So, you know, just grinding out, not a lot of offense in that game. So let's, I mean, if we're, if we're going to assume two and two, one and three or two and two in the non-conference, that leads us into conference play. You open up, at Akron uh, on October 2nd to open up Mac play. I think given the talent we have on the roster here with Ohio, even with all the question marks, I, th- I would still probably expect the Bobcats to win that game. Then you get Central Michigan at home, you go to Buffalo, and you take on Kent State. That right there is a rough three-game stretch. And I, I feel like, you know, if, if, if things don't break their way there, that's you're potentially looking at like a one and three start here in the conference, which to me makes that non-conference getting that victory against Syracuse in week one. That makes that pretty important as well. Cause I mean, I'm not saying I think they'll lose to central Michigan, Penn state and Buffalo, but I could see that happening. Maybe two and two is more likely there to open up the conference play though. Yes. And Ohio's had Buffalo's number recently. I remember in 2018, there was just a midweek game where Ohio came out and from just from the bat, they, took down the bulls and they beat him again in 2019. So Ohio actually rides a two game win streak in that season, despite probably being underdogs in both of those games. So this year's Buffalo team doesn't have Jared Patterson. They don't have Lance Leipold and they're going to have to do some adjustments. So that game's not a completely non-winnable game for Ohio. And I wouldn't be shocked if they could get out of that two and two. I think they could split the central Michigan and Buffalo games probably lose to Kent State in their flash fast offense while beating Akron. So that's mm-hmm. a two start. Just like we mentioned with Central Michigan, this is a team that also feels headed for, for me, they feel like uh, anywhere from four and eight to seven and five seems on the table in the regular season. I would probably guess five and seven, maybe six and six is going to be their final result. Unlike Central Michigan, they benefit from a few more gimme games where they have Duquesne, Akron and Bowling Green on the schedule. So that should be three wins for Ohio. And then it all comes down to beating those other teams in the MAC that are somewhat evenly matched up against, where that's your Eastern Michigans, your Central Michigans, maybe a Buffalo or a Toledo there. So there's so much parity in this conference this year. I feel like I'm just reiterating the same thing with <laughs> the team. But there, there's a lot of things that are difficult to predict. And I mean, I say that all these teams are going to finish around 500 or, and that actually happened in 2019 in that Mac West race, when all those teams could have won it, we had an eight and six Miami, Ohio team won the conference over an eight and six central Michigan team. So an eight and five Buffalo was a superior overall record in the conference that year. So you never know what happens. I think that ball state and Kent state should be ahead of the pack this year for me, but I think that the rest of the Mac could shape up to be just one round robin of just shape up to be the Pac-12 essentially yeah yes yes a lot of I feel like coin flip is is the term we keep coming back to here. a lot of coin flips this year I mean even when you look at this schedule I mean Central Michigan I feel like you know 
looking at Ohio's schedule, Central Michigan, that's a coin flip. At Buffalo, that's a coin flip. Miami at home, that's a coin flip. At Eastern Michigan, that's a coin flip. I mean, there's so many programs here that are so close in terms of talent. And I'm with you. I think I might be a little bit more optimistic than you when it comes to the Bobcats, just because I think they have a lot of senior talent here. I look at the, the total uh, that, that Vegas set for them is sit, setting at six and a half. I would say six and six or seven and five feels right. I could, I mean, if they get some, some bad breaks, I could definitely see him, you know, down to the lower end of like four and eight or something like that, but it's going to be really interesting. Obviously a program in transition. I'm actually very curious to see what happens to Ohio next year and the year after that. Right. Because I feel like this is still a very much a, a Frank Stolich roster with, you know, he's, he's recruited all these guys. The staff has, um, is, is uh, still has some continuity, but is Tim Albin going to be able to recruit to that same level and develop these guys to the same level? I'm curious to see what Ohio looks like three or four years from now, because prior to Frank Solish, this was not a good program. They hadn't been to a bowl game in 30 years. So that's what, that's going to be the long-term kind of curiosity for me when it comes to Ohio. Yeah. And I think it was smart. It seemed like once Burrow retired that Alba, Albin was the coach in waiting and I think it's smart to inherit a program that shares, uh, inherit a coach that shares a similar program, a uh, similar culture for the program as Solich. So having Albin is a lot of continuity with the program still, and it's not going to feel like a major coaching overhaul like you're seeing at Buffalo, who's bringing it Maurice Linguist and a whole new staff of assistants. So I think yeah. Ohio is going to be ahead of the curve for most teams that have to suffer a coaching change over the offseason. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. So going to be a very, very interesting year in Athens and for Bobcat fans everywhere. Um, and with that, folks, we're, that'll, that'll wrap it up for us here this week. We're now half, officially halfway through our, our season previews uh, for the MAC Conference. we got about a little over three weeks. Uh, I guess, what, four weeks from tonight will be um, the kickoff of week one. Obviously, we're a little over three weeks away from, uh, from week zero. Next week, we'll be taking a look at the Red Hawks of Miami and the Toledo Rockets, a team that uh, feels like they need or they want to get back to the top of the conference after a couple of disappointing seasons the last few years. Uh, Steve, any, any final thoughts here tonight before we sign off? Hmm, last word. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure what to say, so I'm just going to – go back and say that I'm excited to watch uh, some Jason Preston and Summer League while we're waiting for football. I think it's going to be really exciting to have more of a Mac footprint in the NBA after not having too much over the past couple seasons. So now we can tweet about him and Rashawn Palms from the Hustle Belt account now. Palms, who just signed a nice extension with the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. So we just leave it on that note. So waiting for football season to start but until then i'm good watching some summer league yeah there you go anyone else that's gotten their uh their, you know that their football itch needs scratched right now uh this weekend we got the the opening of the canadian football league that's a mac talent up there north of the border as well so um always interesting watching the wide open style of the game they play up in canada so that'll wrap it up for he us here tonight uh, he is Steve Helwick. I am Zach Baldor. Thank you so much for stopping by this week, folks, and we will talk to you next Friday. Have a great weekend.